Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Reds Unrestricted. I'm your host, Dan Club, and I'm joined, as ever, by Dave Comerford and Chloe Bloxham as we reflect on Liverpool reaching the Champions League final and look ahead to Tottenham in the Premier League. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, yeah, here we are, uh, the morning after, the night before, as it was. Um, Liverpool overcome. Villarreal is probably the best way of putting it. 3-2 on the night, which means a 5-2 aggregate victory, which sounds pretty straightforward. It wasn't exactly like that, if we're going to be honest, um, and as we'll discover as we chat through the game. Um, I'll start with you, Dave. I'll come to you first. First of all, how are we? How did you enjoy last night? Um, and can I also get your three-word match review, please? Well, we were talking... Uh, before we started recording about um, the toll that games like that take on you. So, you know, you, you go from a state of, I mean, at half time, everyone was sort of hanging in the balance, you know, not just the the quadruple really, but, you know, say if Liverpool were to lose yesterday, it's like they're out the Champions League and the odds are that they don't win the Premier League at the moment. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you go from potentially winning everything to only the Cups, like possibly, which isn't terrible, but it's not, I think, what we're all we're all dreaming of. So the stakes were really high and you could tell really that rival fan bases were ready to, you know, mock Liverpool like relentlessly um, yeah. if they slipped up. And and to a degree that would have been <laughs> would have been deserved, you know, given the position we were in coming into the game and the, you know, the stakes we had as heavy favourites. Um well, you know, by the end of the game, obviously, I think, you know, let me just check when we sort of scored the the second goal, because I think that was the moment when you kind of knew mm-hmm. um, that we'd done it. So that was in the 67th minute. So in the space of like just over 20 minutes, really, you're going from that kind of state of, of panic and uncertainty to being like relaxed, feeling like orders restored. And then by the end of the game, um, obviously, it was, you know, it was over as a contest, um, and if it said to me at half time that it would have been like that towards the end, then I think that that's probably what I needed, um, given the emotional states I was in, and I imagine a lot of Liverpool fans too. So, with that in mind, uh, for my three red view, I've gone with through the ringer, um, because that's what it was. It was as I sat down yesterday, I thought, is this going to be one of those games where we? almost make a mockery of, of how difficult it's supposed to be a, a Champions League away semi-final. But but now, as it turned out, it, it became a typically dramatic Liverpool occasion. Yeah, typically is the word. Um, we never seem to do things the easy way, particularly in Europe. Um, and particularly when it gets to the semi-final stage, it would seem. Um, I'll come to you in a second, Chloe. Obviously, yeah, so half-time, 2-0 down. Um, managed to turn things around. I think Boulidia and Francis Coquelin score first half, and the, the ties level at that point. And obviously, like you say, Dave, you know we're all going through this weird sense of emotion. I was relatively calm, if I'm honest. Um, I felt like there was no way we could be as bad as we were in the first half. A lot of credit should go to Villarreal, but I always felt like we had to improve, and we were going to. So, yeah, it was. Um, it was an interesting night, let's put it that way. Um, Chloe, I'll come to you. How are we? Um, how did you enjoy yourself or otherwise last night? 
Um, and three word match review, please, mate. Um, I mean, for me, the three words have gone. It's turned into four, and it's Paris. Here we come. <laughs> um, because this is, you know, the pinnacle of football. This, this is as a supporter, it's the greatest um, trophy in world football for me. Mm-hmm. It's the one that I'd choose above the Premier League every single day of the week. It is. The creme de la creme is literally Liverpool's love affair with the European Cup continues. Um, And that line is one of the most iconic lines and will stay with me for my life. And every time it seems like Liverpool just have something special with this this European Cup that um, seems like no other club really does. And I know you can talk about Real Madrid, who's won it the most amount of times, but he wouldn't quite a few of them in a time where no one else was competing um, after after yesterday I mean in that first half and at the second half I was completely fine I'd put into perspective everything but in the moments as it was going on I was absolutely fuming and I was living in the moments and it's fine it's fine in the moment to be fuming at those 11 players on the pitch I don't know why people think because they're so good right now that you still can't be angry this is your football club. This is what, like, I don't care about anything else in life more than Liverpool Football Club for those 90 minutes. So it's absolutely fine to be livid with your football club with those 45 minutes because those Reds we knew once they actually could get the ball and just start completing five-yard passes, we'd be sound. We knew once we'd get in it, we'd be absolutely sound. But it seemed like we were playing the occasion. It seemed like we were being suffocated. Um. And no one could complete a five-yard pass. No one could hold the ball up. It seemed like we were just doing it all too quick and too frantic and just lumping a ball up the pitch like Everton do and praying. And that's not what Liverpool are. Um, That's not how we got there. So for those 45 minutes and half time, I was on the brink of, I don't know if I can deal with the stress of this. But as soon as the second half kicked off and I'd rationalised things and I'd put things into perspective... I was absolutely sound because I, I knew to myself that Liverpool, yeah, and Klopp would say something to them in a sense that would get through to them. Mm. And all Liverpool needed to do was have a 15 minutes spell where they could do really, really well. And Liverpool had the chance to put three or four goals in against you and the tie's completely over. And that's what happened. Liverpool completely bossed the second half. They made us all look like fools for being on the floor for 45 minutes in that first because in the second they turned around and was absolutely boss. So, um, yeah, it, it was very much a game for two halves and it was very much a, a case of um, even when things are going really bad for Liverpool, it's sad to be unhappy and to be angry and to be frustrated during it. But the rationalisation of it comes after the game because that's when you calm and you realise that Liverpool... Um, they can play really, really bad at times, but you're always going to have that throughout the season. And the occasion got to us. We played it. We went good. Um, but the second half, once we've actually got ourselves in a mentally good state and realised, lads, just pass the ball and you're absolutely so much better than you is. Um, when we started doing that, we came out on top. Yeah, yeah, we did, thankfully. Um, and I think you're right in, in what you say in terms of playing the occasion. It certainly looked like that, which was quite surprising, I suppose, in many aspects. And I want to come to the first half more generally in a second with you, Dave. But 
my three-word match review is slightly tongue-in-cheek, um, and it's never in doubt. Um, because, like you alluded to, Chloe, really, it always felt like we were going to be better at some point during that game. Um, and obviously, half-time came at a nice time, if you like. Um, and we've had a few performances like that recently, a few sort of, to coin that, Jekyll and Hyde type um, display. Because I think Arsenal away was one that springs to mind, whereby we weren't really at the races for 45 minutes. And then we were stunning for 45 minutes. So, yeah, a little bit frustrating. Um, especially when it's a Champions League semi-final, but you know, like I say, we don't do things the easy way. Um, so yeah, Dave, Chloe talks about the first half there. Um, where do you think that went wrong? And the, the, on Twitter, in particular, there was quite a lot of chat about the starting lineup and who Klopp had chosen. And I think Naby Keita came in for quite a lot of stick. Um, whether that's a hangover from his previous knockout outing in Spain, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it wasn't just Naby Keita for me. Um, I think everyone was having a little bit of a stinker in that first 45 minutes, if I'm being honest. But but where do you think it kind of went wrong? Well, I mean, on the selection, like hindsight's a wonderful thing. And people talk about should Henderson have, have started over him. And mm-hmm. it's a surprise that Henderson's missing some of these games, you know, some of these, you know, potentially season definer matches. I accept that. But I also think that and we saw this um, at the weekend as well. You know, Case is in kind of the, the be- almost the best form of Liverpool career at the moment. So just because a selection doesn't work out doesn't mean it's not justified. And I think yeah. sometimes those two things get kind of um, equated. But I mean, to, to kind of break it down, you know, Klopp said in his interview, you know, he said Villarreal were unbelievable. And there is an element of that, obviously, in terms of an effective game plan and how they've been set up by Emery and harnessing the crowd, things like that. But, you know, to, to focus on Liverpool, um, you know, in terms of we know how much better we can be. I think Klopp said that we had 11 problems on the pitch in the first half. Um, and I saw people on Twitter saying that that Casey was being scapegoated a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which he has been in the past as well um, when he's played poorly. Having said that, you know, from a personal point of view, I did think he was the poorest player of those, you know, 11 problems to, to use Klopp's phrase. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, you know, he missed the um, Barcelona second leg because um, I think he got injured in the first leg. And maybe he's thinking to himself, I, I, I need to be involved in a dramatic uh, semi-final um, to be, <laughs> as a sort of, almost to be a proper part of this Liverpool team because... That, that's what it was like. He, I don't know what was going through his head at times. Um, and like I say, I do think he's been brilliant recently. And I'd actually written something, you know, in the lead up to the game about about that. But it, it was sort of like a, a two, three out of ten performance, really, from him in the first half. But, you know, like I say, not just him, because Thiago, to, to be fair, again, someone we've come on this podcast, it feels like the past four or five weeks, and sort of eulogised about. He was miles off it. And then, you know, the defender for the goals as well. The first goal, we get beaten to the ball twice. It's one of them where you're like, why aren't we on our toes? Why aren't we more aggressive in those situations? And the second was obviously poor from from both fullbacks, uh, very much so. Um, and, you know, in sort of just general play, like, uh, and then Chloe alluded to it, our passing accuracy was like a record low in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually thought... And you know, the only thing I said the half time on Twitter was 
something reasonably optimistic. I think I think like you, Dan, I didn't think we were gonna we certainly were gonna play worse. And I still have the confidence, you know, I said to my mates, look, we just gotta win the second half. And, you know, I had the confidence that we could do that. So it wasn't like a disaster. But one the one of the things I said was we're getting into actually decent situations and that's mm-hmm. not being reflected by, you know, our expected goals or whatever, which I think was like less than 0.1. Because what was happening was we were getting into those positions. You know, we had a few where Trent was kind of on a promising counter attack, and the sharp, the sharpness of, of passing and decision making just wasn't there. Um, so I had the confidence that once we, once those things returned, that we could create chances. And I think we saw that um, sort of in the early period of the second half. Obviously, we can talk about the second half in a bit. Um, and the last thing I'd say about that is about the first half and 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 what kind of went wrong. Was there a degree of complacency there? You know, we like to think of this Liverpool team as being almost perfect from a, a mentality standpoint. But I just wonder if everything being projected onto them from the outside has kind of seeped in there because, you know, you listen to it. I think fans were, a lot of supporters were taking it for granted. I mean, you two have probably seen a lot of tweets in the build up to this game, which made it seem like an inevitability that we were going, going to be in the final. Um, there's all these questions about the quadruple, so then that's an kind of implied assumption there. You know, I was even listening to, like, um, I was listening to uh, a podcast with, um, you know, James Pearcy and Doyle Neil Jones yesterday, and they, it shocked me the extent to which they were implying it was a foregone conclusion and it unsettled me a little bit, um, to be honest. So I think everyone just assumed that Liverpool would walk through. Um and maybe that transmits onto the players a little bit. And also, was there an element of nerves? I think we saw nerves away at Man City um, in that game. And, you know, they it obviously got to us a little bit last night. So, again, maybe not things that you typically associate with the Liverpool side, but, you know, Jekyll and Hyde's the right way to put it because, you know, like we'll talk about in a minute, the second half was um, the needed transformation, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not half. Um and I think in terms of complacency, it's not something we associate with this Liverpool side, like you say, but I think if, if, if there was ever going to be a game whereby they were complacent, it's probably rightfully so last night, because even from a fan perspective, like I'm not one to be so, but in the build-up to this, just just on the little Villarreal showed Anfield, like they really look sort of void of ideas in which to hurt us with. And I suppose... Credit should go to them and Unai Emery for for transforming that really in the space of six days because at our place they just looked like they had nothing. They looked like they had no way whatsoever of getting to us. Um, don't think they had a shot on target, and it wasn't just a game whereby they just soaked up pressure. They conceded relatively big chances throughout, and it just seemed like we were too much for them, far too much for them. So. If there was ever going to be a game, like I say, whereby we went into it thinking 2 0 up already, job done, it probably was last night. But fair play to Villarreal in that first 45 minutes. You know, we weren't at the races, there's no doubt about it. You're right to highlight Cater, I think everyone else has. And you're certainly right to highlight Thiago, who's been outstanding recently. But last night, for somebody so good in terms of his quality and for somebody so decorated in terms of his calibre, that was a performance that was miles off it. And he and everyone else looked looked a bit shocked by what had gone on, to be honest with you. Um, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Um, but I'll come to you, Chloe, for the second half, because I want to I ask you, 
What do you think Klopp has said at half-time? And I know Virgil van Dijk has alluded to something in his post-match stuff, but what do you think Klopp has done, said? What's he done to change the, the, change the path of that game, um, do you think? I think he, he came out and said that, well, um, Virgil van Dijk said that he just said, play the Liverpool way, play football. And I think yeah. that was very much the case. He could see what we were seeing. Um, they were doubling up on Robertson's side. Kapua was having an absolute jaw down that right off Robertson's shoulder. Um, and, and the Reds, it wasn't like we weren't getting the ball. We were getting the ball, but then when we got the ball, we didn't do what we needed to with it. When we got it, it was just a, a hopeful ball upfield. Jota couldn't make it stick. He couldn't drag us up the pitch, but then the attackers were feeding off scraps, so it wasn't like it was his fault at all it was all 11 players not doing the job correctly um, and when all 11 players aren't doing the job correctly then that's the problem it felt like one pass by Villarreal and they were literally onto our defence it seemed like the midfield was just getting bypassed far too easy um, it seemed like five yard passes just couldn't be completed and I think Gergen's probably just said to them lads you're just so much better than, than the team out there facing us. Yeah, let's respect them, but don't respect them too much in a sense that you're actually scared to come for them. Um, I think we were being too nice with, with the way we were doing it. Um, and I think he's probably just told them, when you get that ball, just calm, be relaxed. Act as it's, it's nil-nil now. It's nil-nil. So you've got to now go and do what you did in that first leg and make sure you do it within 45 minutes and get us to Paris. Um, because we'd already done a lot of the work in that first leg. And I did say at the time, we should have got that third goal and we missed really big chances. If that third goal goes in in the second leg, I think, in the first leg, sorry, I think what happens in the second first half isn't as big as it is because I think I already think they're out of the tie where 2 0, you've still got a glimmer of hope. But I think for Jürgen, it was just a very simple team talk of just aren't playing football. <laughs> it's just that simple. Whenever we win this ball back, you're just giving them it back and then we're on the back foot every time. There's no rest for anyone. Um, Thiago, you know, one of the best passers we've seen as passing statistics the past however many games. In that first half, I'd be surprised if he completed the single five-yard pass. It was just like that. It was one of those halves. Um, and we just needed to change our mentality. We needed to change, um, obviously, the, the way we played. I think Jota should have came off, and which he did. We put Luis Diaz on. I also shouted for Henderson, not because I thought Keita was awful. There was 11 players there who weren't doing the job correctly. It was very much a thing of, I wanted someone to set the pace. I wanted someone to be there. And if someone wasn't doing their job correctly, I wanted Jordan Henderson on that pitch to scream at them and get them in shape. Mm. I wanted them to be organised. I wanted Jordan Henderson to be the one to say, lad, calm down while you're hoofing a ball up the pitch. And clearly we didn't need Henderson till later on because whatever Jürgen Klopp said, it had calmed the team right down. Um, but I think ultimately, ultimately he must have said to them, lads, it's nil-nil. You now need to go and put in a winning performance. Otherwise, we aren't getting to a final, which you deserve to be in and which is did enough in the first leg to be in. But... Uh, football isn't isn't a game of you know only two halves when it comes to you know the Champions League it's four and you've now got to deliver in the majority of them to get there 
Um, so I think it was just a case of resetting that Jurgen Klopp needed to do with us. He just needed to reset our players, reset the mindset, take the weight off their shoulders, which he seems to always do. He puts it on himself. So he probably came around and said that first half on me, not on use. Um, um, we just we reset the mentality. We reset what we were trying to do in the game. Um, and we went out there with knowledge of let's kick a football about to our actual players and we'll be able to do something here. Yeah, I think you're dead right in what you say about it being nil-nil because there was definitely a moment after they scored the second, obviously, for me, whereby I thought that's... Obviously, it felt worse than it was because we were 2-0 down in the full match, but at the same time, it was like, right, it's nil-nil now. So had the the first leg result not been as good as it was, it wouldn't have really mattered so much. But because we'd let that two-goal slip, it definitely felt like a bigger kick in the teeth than it probably was. Um and I think you're right in terms of what Klopp said, in terms of resetting and almost a bit of a, you realise what's at stake here, I think, was needed in terms of we're playing for a place in the Champions League final, which we all know Klopp held so highly the European Cup. So he absolutely adores him. He's got like this love affair with them, essentially, with his record is just ridiculous. So for me, there was definitely a sense of stay calm, but realise what we're here to do. And obviously we did that. Um, Dave, do you echo Chloe's sentiments about Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool's transformation in the second half? Or, and I tend to lean towards this slightly, if I'm being honest, did Unai Emery take the ham, not take the handbrake off, put the handbrake on his side somewhat? And were they more akin to what they were at Anfield in the second half in terms of the, they, were, they had parity and they sat back and they allowed us to play? What, what do you think? Well, it's a really interesting uh, suggestion. I haven't actually, you know, seen anyone make that point. I think there was an element of that. I think as soon as soon as it went to to two nil at half time, then I almost think that he would have been content to like take take two nil, and if it went to extra time, you know, I think they're happy with that. I think they feel like yeah. you know they can. They can, you know, survive in that dogfight. That extra time can be, and I think you might be right, Dan, in that they're kind of more happy to bide their time um, than, and then just wait for the chance on the counter attack. Maybe um, I don't think it was the case of you know them retreating in, into a block, but it's one of them where like, are they less aggressive, or is it Liverpool just regaining their kind of control and composure? I think there's yeah. definitely an element of both um, in there. Um, so, you know, you look at it, Villarreal had five shots, all of them in the first half. So whether that kind of backs up what you're saying there, potentially, Dan, and 13 of Liverpool's 15 uh, came in the second half when our passing accuracy went back up to 85%, which is obviously what, what Chloe was speaking about there. Um, I think, you know, I completely agree with Klopp wiping a clean slate. I think that's what he would have done at halftime. Um, it was probably not, in a strange way, not as difficult to team talk. I as we'd imagine, um, on the back of a performance like that, just because you can just almost reset at that stage. So I think, you know, we had we had that um composure back, and um, it, we looked like our usual selves as well. Um, you know, on a simple level, I think individually there was an improvement. I thought, um, obviously Cater, and I think it's really significant that Cater stayed on the pitch. To be honest, you know, Chloe talks about Henderson there. I think, I think the vast majority of Liverpool fans would have wanted to see Henderson a half time to be honest. Um 
and that that was completely justifiable. But Klopp stuck it out with with Naby, and I think that's going to be so important for him because you know, especially remembering what hap- what happened in Madrid, there's a risk, isn't there, that if he comes off a half time in that game after that big show of faith last night, then how much does that reset all the good work he's done in the past few weeks in terms of his quality? You know, that would have been my concern. Um, but I think the fact that he stayed on and played well in the second half means that, um, you know, he should be able to maintain that confidence, which I think is potentially good management, even though it was a risk. And I also thought Trent had, you know, talked about him getting into good situations in the first half. I thought a lot of moments his delivery was, was really tame, sort of getting clear at the near post kind of thing. But obviously he comes up with the, um, I think I'm right in saying he gets the assist for Diaz with yeah. um, a much better, you know, kind of delivery that we're accustomed to. Um, and the other thing I'd say, I think it's important that we acknowledge this, is that the goalkeeper helped us out hugely yesterday. I mean, are we are we in the final without that as, with the happening as well? You know, there's loads of things that kind of needed to happen second half. Um, I think when you play opposition of a lower echelon in like a tie like this, mistakes are going to be a factor to a degree um, that they make in being more error prone. Whether you can criticise him for all three goals, I don't know. The first and the third goals were definitely really poor from him. Maybe the, the second one is is a bit trickier to deal with from, from how close in it is. But yeah, he um, he helped us out. Um, uh, that's for sure. So we, we kind of maybe needed that as well. Because I didn't think we started the second half amazingly. Um, but obviously, you know, Salah lays it off to Fabinho and then he basically drives it through the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just someone like that can just change the whole dynamic of the game, even if you almost haven't earned, uh, fully earned it yet. So, yeah, I think it's important that we kind of accept that as well. Yeah, definitely. He definitely played a helping hand. Uh, and you could say in the first leg as well, um, some of his antics didn't actually cost him goals in the first leg, but there was definitely moments whereby you thought, I'm not sure about this fella whatsoever. Um, and I think you're right in what you say. It's probably a mixture of the two in terms of Villarreal's approaching the second half and us regaining some poise and I think those two combined just meant that we were able to assert our dominance on the game again but you mentioned in there score with the second goal um, and he was probably part of the reason the game changed in the second half if we're being honest and um, Luis Diaz superb again absolutely superb. gets brought on at half time for Diogo Jota who Hadn't really been in the game, but not through much fault of his own. I think, like we've always already said, we were pretty, pretty much well below par in the first half. And I think Jota's inclusion for me, and in a sense, Naby Keita's was with Klopp wanting to almost kill the game off. He went for that sort of attacking goal threat as opposed to the poise that someone like Henderson can offer in midfield. And like Jota, we all know how clinical he is in the box, but his all-round play recently hasn't exactly been up to scratch. But it's almost as if he went, you can score me the goals needed to kill this game in the first half. Didn't work like that. He gets replaced at halftime and Diaz comes on. Chloe, talk to me about Louis Diaz. What do you think? Second half, unbelievable. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. Um, I mean, what a piece of business that is. We all knew he'd, uh, he'd be good. We didn't know how he did that. But I mean, it's absolutely seamless how he is slotted into this team um, he's so direct he's so he's the player that you know I want in one on one situations because I feel like nine times out of ten he's getting past that player 
um, and he goes and goes and goes again. He doesn't give them a breath. Um, I mean, the, he came on and there was a couple of times where Foyth stood him up and maybe got the better of him or maybe he'd just done one or two more things and got off balance and yet he still went at him. And every single time you could see them not having a clue how to deal with them. Uh, he should have had a, a, at least another goal in that um, where, you know, I think Albiol gets a deflection on it and it's the post and, and goes out for the corner. Um, but he's just... Somehow he's something different, yet exactly what Liverpool need and what like what our identity is. It's it's mental because I see Mane and I can see Mane doing all the things that Diaz does, but the flair that Diaz has is absolutely incredible. Um, his pace obviously helps him, but the fact that you just don't know which way he's going is 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 unbelievable and um. He took it to them. He grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. And something that Steven Gerrard used to constantly do for Liverpool Football Club. But Luis Diaz did this. And he did it in a sense of, right, well, we've been awful for 45. I want to start this final and I want to get there. So, uh, you know, we better pick up our ideas. And every time he drove at, at their defence, you just thought to yourself, OK, something's going to happen here. Um, even when he was, you know, he recycled the ball. He'd get so far up the pitch, there'd be nothing, and he'd still put us in a good position to do something. Um, he's just, he's absolutely incredible. Uh, how direct he is. I'd be absolutely petrified if I was a defender watching that because um, he can do everything. He can run in off yet, which he did for the goal. No one tracks him. Um, he can drive at you. He can do one-on-one situations. He's got you for pace. He's got you for flair. You don't know which way he's going. Um, he can he can use both feet if needed. Um, he's just scarily skillful. Um, and I mean, even even in the situation that we was in, um, Lewis Diaz was still doing the types of things like no look things, no look passes, no look shots. He just you know he was doing everything. Even now, it was such a massive occasion for him, especially. Um, and I mean, you could see the frustration with you know. The the first couple of things he was so narrowly close with, he only needed another yard or that deflection not to take it on the outside of the post. Um, and you could see he was getting angry and frustrated, but you could just see the want with him. You just knew that he, he wanted it so much more. And um, it, it's boss to see he's been unbelievable for us and he'll continue to be unbelievable for us. We've got an absolute superstar. Yeah, we we most certainly have, um, and it, it's not just what he's brought; it's what he's added to the squad. Generally speaking, in terms of just the strength and depth, just that one sign in. It's been said before, but just makes us look like a completely different animal. But you bring him on at half time last night, and that's an embarrassment of riches already. And that was just from one piece of business in January. It's it's been outstanding. Um, Dave, I'll, I'll let you sort of cap off the Louis Diaz praise because we all deserve to have a say on him. Yeah, not too much more to to say on it. I, I think you could see straight away it was obvious in the first few minutes to half that he was an outlet for Liverpool mm-hmm. um, and that kind of his 1v1 threat added another dimension, like Chloe said, really. And, you know, one of the two things I said at half-time, you know, I said earlier that I, I, I kind of mentioned getting into these good situations and just needing to be a bit sharper with them. The other thing I said was, 
we have the options on the bench to change the game. We've seen yeah. Klopp do that in previous, you know, big matches. Like, I guess the one that stands out is probably in Milan with the triple sub, but there's there's been plenty really um, in recent times. I mean, the derby as well, you can look at as obviously. So, um, yeah, I think um, the impact, I completely agree with what I'm hearing about the impact um, that he's made. You know, he hasn't scored. You know, an insane amount of goals. His, his goal scoring tally is solid. Is solid, and I just think that without signing Diaz, and I know it's kind of simple to say this because of last night and the impact he made, but I think I'm, I mean this in a more kind of general way. Are Liverpool still in in the Champions League final? If they don't sign Diaz, are they still quadruple worthy as we come into sort of May? Are they in Premier League contention? I don't think so. Um, and I really think, like like you mentioned there, Dan, just the, the impact that the one signing has made um, in terms of the mood and the depth and and the options and all that has been, you know, I think we talked about it before, has been kind of a turning point, really. Um, and it does strengthen the argument um, last night that this is the front three to be going with. I mean, I think we thought that one of the big selection debates, you know, if you'd asked us a couple of months ago, the Puller in a Champions League final, What's the big like selection dilemma? I think you look at it and it would have been Jota versus Firmino. Well, now it's like Jota versus Firmino versus Martin versus Diaz. Like, how many is like two of your three to start alongside Salah? And obviously, there'll be a discussion about midfield and, and maybe even centre back as well. So, um, yeah, some interesting decision that he's got to make. But I certainly think, based on last night um, and based on how this front three is actually done, um, it probably needs to be uh, the one that starts in Paris. Yeah, I think I think you're dead right in it. And Chloe alluded to it a minute ago. It's certainly like he wanted I mean, not that the rest of them didn't want it, but him more than anyone seemed like he wanted to be a part of it and he wanted to get us there. And I think the emotion at the end of the game um was proof of that as well because he was absolutely over the moon. Um, like we all were, obviously. Um speaking of Paris, before we move on to Premier League matters, um Manchester City faced Real Madrid tonight. Um Manchester City four three up after a quite frankly ridiculous game last week. Um, I know my answer to this, but I'll let you two have a say first. Chloe, who do you want to face in Paris? Um, it's obvious, Madrid. Uh, for two reasons of Manchester City, I've, I'm sick and tired of them. I can't be arsed with another game against mm-hmm. them, seriously. I don't think... I, I don't, you know, I nearly never made it through that first half against Villarreal. Could you imagine me trying to get through a game against them in a Champions League final? Um, and also, it feels like a full circle moment. I remember, I saw Julie the other night in Liverpool. She was unreal, and it got me thinking. <laughs> Kiev, I remember going to Kiev. Julie the reason she loves Liverpool was for that Kiev moment when we sang all her tunes back to her in that stadium. Um, it was the best trip of my life that Kiev, and we lost, and we lost to Real Madrid. Um, we lost Salah early on. We we were, you know, once that Sadio Mane goal went in, we all thought we could go on and win it, and yet Carius had other ideas. Um, so it feel like a full circle moment to be able to get them in a final again and be able to rectify it and get revenge. Um, and I'd really like to to be able to do that because. Um, not just it, would it be good for my health I mean it still isn't great that we're in a vinyl because it means I'll be stressed in some kind of way 
uh, but it's the good stress. Um, but it, I think Madrid a full circle moment to realise exactly what Jurgen Klopp and these Reds have done uh, would be to, to go and beat Madrid in a in a Champions League final. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, quite frankly. Um, I think I, I think it, it is that sort of rectifying that Kiev that, that drives my want for Madrid more than anything. But like you say, you know, we've seen enough of Man City already. Um, quite frankly, I think we owe Real Madrid one. Let's put it that way. And the jeopardy of playing against a Premier League club, um, I've seen enough of that for one lifetime in Champions League finals. Um even though it was only Spurs in inverted commas, they were still there, and the thought of losing to a to a rival, a domestic rival, is just doesn't bear thinking about. Quite frankly, um, Dave, I, I presume you echo the same thoughts, or do you particularly fancy getting one over City? Um, I'm sure there'll be some fans who want to play City. I mean, just to pick up on what Chloe said there. I think one of my favourite subplots of the of the Klopp era has been Dua Lipa becoming an adopted Liverpool fan. Um, And I think, you know, we strengthened the case for that, you know, playing like one case after the game and stuff. But I think, I mean, first and foremost, to be in a final is like, you know, I think Chloe said it at the top, is like, it's something you really have to cherish. I think the buzz around these games in the days leading up to it is like nothing else. I mean, Chloe said that, you know, the Champions League for her is... Much a much bigger deal in the Premier League in terms of winning it, and I don't think there is anything that can compare to a Champions League final as a football fan. Um, to be honest, um, and we have to understand that, like, how many fan bases never see their team actually play in one or only ever see it once. You know, we've seen it now. You know, as a football club, it's the tenth time. I think it's the fifth in my lifetime, which is you know, some you know we are really lucky. Um, from that point of view, I mean. Even if you look at English sides, I mean, a club the size of Man United have only appeared in it five times. Um, and I think there's, you know, obviously the likes of Spurs, Arsenal, Man City, they've only been in one. Um, and even in Europe, only Real, Bayern and AC Milan have played in more finals. I think Bayern and AC Milan on 11 as well. So it's it's pretty close uh, with those two. And Klopp's one of only four managers to be in there four times. So it's a rare occasion. And I think it, the fact that we it's not that rare for us means that this sort of idea of us being European royalty, I think there's definite like this is this is the hard evidence for it. And this is I think the main thing that makes Liverpool special as a football club, um, to be honest. In terms of who I wanna play and who I wanna go up against as we look for number seven, I think Real Madrid for the main reason to be honest is not so much the revenge for me. It's just that I think Man City are better than Real Madrid. Um, I think the thing that might help carry Real Madrid through, I mean, obviously they're, they're going into the game with only a 1-0 deficit to play in a home, so it's, it's in the balance, that one. But I think a lot of the time in these kind of games, the sort of heritage factor and the, mm-hmm. the, the Champions League history and DNA, and it sounds like a really sort of, you know, silly point to make sometimes, but I think there's too much evidence of of that kind of helping you and, and giving you something extra um in these games. And it's something that the likes of City and PSG strive for but but can't seem to can't seem to ascertain. So um I think that's gonna come into it. But um if City can beat them, I think they're it's a harder game for Liverpool. Um you know we obviously beat them at Wembley but there was quite a few 
big players who, who weren't involved for, for various reasons in that one. So it would be much more difficult. And I also think that losing to City would hurt a lot more. I know that isn't maybe the way you're supposed to think about it, but um, I think it would be not only bleak for football to see Man City win uh, the Champions League, to be honest, um, even though it will happen eventually, you know, you need to delay that as much as you can, um, to be honest. Um, and yeah, it would just feel, I think it would really like put like a, regardless of what happens, it would put like a, a real like, take like taint over the season to be honest um to lose to them so i'm thinking of it from that point of view but you know real whilst i do think city are better you know it's a i think we've gone into the kia final and the uh the game last season thinking i think a lot of us think thought that we were going to win um and whether that was underestimating them or not because we were obviously the underdogs the first time and um last year we had all those injuries so you can't, you know, take them for granted, even though I think Liverpool are better. Um, you know, they've got the best team in the world, not the best team in the world, the best player in the world uh, in Benzema at the moment, you'd probably have to say. Um, they won La Liga easily. You know, Vinicius seems to be developing into a bit of a killer. They've got this midfield that's kind of full of winners. Um, you know, Modric is obviously um, ageless. Um so he, you know, he's certainly someone who can produce in these big games still, even at the age he is. So it would still be a, a hugely difficult game, but I don't think it would be necessarily as difficult um, as playing Man City. So that's the main draw for me. It's not so much about the revenge for me, um, as much as it would be sweet after losing to them twice in the Champions League. I just think that I'd rather, in terms of the confidence levels and the chances that we'd have, I'd rather play Real. But was there something else you wanted to say, Chloe? I was just going to say that the, the best thing about Champions League is that you face teams from other domestic leagues. I can, I don't buy it. Just it's even Madrid was slightly tarnished with the fact that facing Ajax would have been so much more. Yeah. You know, it would have been better. Because it's a team from another country. It's like you. This is what the European Cup is all about. It's facing teams from the best leagues all around the world. I don't want to get to a final and face someone who I've watched twice already this season. You know, who play in the same league as me. Who you know, and are now away from where we live. Like that's just not what the UEFA Cup is is ever been to me. The European Cup has always been. Okay, you face Saint Etienne, you face Real Madrid, you face Ajax, you face Benfica, you face these teams, AC Milan, that like you create history with and you have this rivalry with, but you only ever have this rivalry within the European Cup because you never get to face them any other time. So like to reach a final and then it'd be two two English sides, it is a bit like, can you be bothered? No, you're dead right. You are dead right and I think I'm glad to hear we're all supporting Real Madrid later on. Um, fingers crossed. And obviously, if you listen to it after the fact, then hopefully we are playing Real Madrid. Um, but before all of that, but like I say, matters turn back to domestic this weekend with the visit of Tottenham to Anfield. Um, obviously, we remain a point behind Manchester City, despite our best efforts. Um we just need to keep winning games, quite frankly. It's as simple as that. Do 
I mean, I I think Tottenham do pose a genuine threat to our hopes and our quadruple hopes. But at home, you've always got to be confident. Um, Chloe, I'll stick with you. What do you make of Tottenham and how big a threat are they to us this weekend? Um, I thought this could have been potentially bigger than United and Everton, to be honest. Um, United, obviously... Not in a good run of form. Everton needed sorting out the game, but I thought Liverpool started enough. Um, Spurs have, have caused us troubles this season. Um, I mean, we should have had the red card and we should have had the penalty at their yeah. stadium. It should have never ended in a draw, but it did. Um, but Conte has got them working in such a way that um, they're very organised. They're rapid on the break, which the... Um, they had us completely off with in their stadium. It seemed like every time they broke, they could have scored. Hopefully, the offside trap um, is a bit better against them this time, um, because you know that offside trap. It, it you know for any part of our system to work, we have to <laughs> that has to be correct first. Um, and they're so good with the pace that they've got. Um, they're so good with beating that offside trap because they've got pacey players who can make a late run and still get to the ball. So, I think. Um, it all depends what what yesterday took out of us as well because mentally and physically because in that first half it looked like every single player on that pitch was leggy and in the second half it seemed like we breezed through so I'm hoping that it hasn't took too much out of us and we'll be sound Um, what I will say is for me the defining factor here is Anfield should be absolutely bouncing Um, every single person in that stadium if you come in you know it should be an incredible atmosphere and hopefully that helps the Reds. But um, I'd be stupid to think that this is a, an easy run in the park. I think this is, you know, one of uh, the, the hardest games we had in the running, and it, it's proven to be so now. Um, what I will say is, is hopefully uh, we recover well. It's a late kickoff as well, so hopefully, you know, the the atmosphere is even better. Um, but it's 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 not going to be easy. They're a very very organised team. I just hope we have too much for them. Um, and and like you said, you know, we've we've got the ability there for the bench to have a right impact if anything isn't going well. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a really tough game. But I'm I'm hoping the Reds have just enough to win it. Yeah, I think you're right to mention the atmosphere because obviously it's something we tap into a lot anyway. But. You know, with this Champions League final already in the bag, you know, we're on we're on the route. We're, we're going to play in every single football match there is to play in this season, quite frankly. What that means trophy-wise, we don't know yet. But every single game possible, we will be there and we will be a part of it. So the fans, you know, you can't not be overjoyed at that, quite frankly. And obviously you mentioned the kickoff time, 7.45 Saturday night. Bit of a strange one, but it's one that, I think the fans can be certainly up for and can certainly potentially help push us over the line. In um, And obviously we play again before Manchester City, so it's really important to put pressure on them. And they welcome Newcastle to Manchester on the Sunday. So I'll ask the same question to you, Dave, before we go on to lineups and predictions. Um, I suppose what do you expect from Tottenham? Are they going to bring the game to us? It's probably their best way. Um, and if they do so, how dangerous is this match? I mean, just to start with the um, the kickoff time, I think that that's plays into Liverpool's hands. It's, yeah. it's a BT game, so I think it's a BT game anyway. So I think ordinarily it would have been half twelve, um, but I wasn't sure why, and then I checked yesterday. 
looks like it's because of the championship um, final day, all the games are at half twelve. So obviously they kind of want to give that its yeah. its, its spot and give that its attention. Um, and then we've been moved to to that game, which I think helps obviously recovery time wise, uh, but also in terms of the atmosphere. So um, it should be quite quite a special one in Anfield. I think Tottenham. The reason there's kind of three reasons I'd say above all that they concern me. Um, number one, they won at the Etihad, um, and the, the only I think only top side to do that this season. Um, and when you looked at the fixtures, and it was like where where are Man City going to slip up, and then you sort of thought to yourself, "Hang on, Liverpool need to win all their games too." This was the one you looked at and thought, "Maybe." Um, this is the one where we run into to, to some difficulty, to be honest. Um, and I think there'll be some Liverpool fans who, who think that we probably draw this game um, and that, you know, obviously we probably can't afford to do that. Um, so I think, obviously, it's not going to be an exact the exact same blueprint um, as it was the Etihad because the two teams play a different way, but I don't think it's going to be... <laughs> I mean, that one was interesting because it wasn't just sort of completely parking the bus counter-attack. But there were sort of spells where City had them penned in, and they did kill them um, when they kind of got the the transitions that they wanted. So the second reason would be obviously the manager. He's one of the best managers in the world, and even though his team are inconsistent, I think that's just the level that they're at right now. Um, as a top four chasing team, you know you are going to have you know silly results in there, um, and I think if there's any kind of manager who can devise a plan to exploit any tiny um, opportunities in a game against Liverpool that kind of spring up tactically. I think he is one who could certainly do that and there's probably very few out there who is well equipped um, as he is. And the last thing would be, I think Son and Kane have, as a partnership, they almost have something which it's not quite Liverpool's kryptonite, but They've got the attributes to kind of thrive against team that plays a high line. And what I mean by that is Kane dropping into those positions. And if he finds any space, then he's able to put it on a plate for some kind of whip it round the back of the defence, you know, perfect kind of weight on it. And then Son obviously has the speed, you know, the timing of his runs, the intelligence, and he's absolutely, I think he might be the best finisher in the Premier League, to be honest. So you can't give him the opportunity to run through on goal, even though we got the best 1v1 keeper, I think some would still fancy it in that scenario. Um, obviously, we saw in the uh, game at um, at their stadium that they did get in behind us a lot, um, but we did, you know, we had quite a lot of players out that game, so I'd hope that they didn't have as many opportunities, especially with it being a home. But yeah, I just think that Kane's ability to find space kind of be- between the lines and and Son's runs is something that could cause us real problems. So those are the main reasons um, I'm concerned about it and why I think it is going to be such a difficult game, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. I think all of them. I think particularly the Son and Kane factor um, is a huge, huge one. Um, but like I said earlier, I think us being at home and and Tottenham's inconsistency you mentioned there, I think make me, and our, our sheer class and strength, of course, goes without saying, still gives me supreme confidence that we'll be able to get the job done, um, especially in the rich vein of form that we're currently in and the way we're just finding ways of winning games as well. 
um, without necessarily always being at our best. Um, and the 11 players to try and do so on Saturday, um, I'll stick with you, Dave, on this. Um, your preferred lineup, if you just want to run through it for us. Yeah, so I think because we play Aston Villa on Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, and Villa are sort of kind of 13th, 14th, 15th territory at the moment, I think that'll be the game Klopp looks at to make changes. Obviously, it'll still be a difficult one. Um, but I expect Klopp to, to take that kind of gamble of making the changes against Villa. So I've gone with um, Allison, Trent, Matip, Van Dyke, Robertson. Matip coming back in. Um, interesting that he didn't start yesterday. Like I said before, whether he starts the final is kind of up in the air now. I've got Henderson coming back into midfield alongside Fabinho and Thiago. And I've gone for what looks like the strongest front three at the moment with Salamane and Diaz. Yeah, that's fair. And the Canarte point is an interesting one. It's almost as if, it's probably not as exact as this science, but Canarte in my head seems to be favoured in Europe quite a lot. And whether that's, obviously he's got a European background in terms of his French, he's played in France and he's played in Germany. Whether that's a factor, whether it's a stylistic thing, I'm not sure, but Canarte certainly seems to be the preferred choice in the Champions League at the minute. Um, Chloe, would you make any changes from that side? No, that is that's that's the lineup I'd go with. Um, I think Cater's got an argument to to maybe come in sixty minutes in, and um, give others a rest. But um, that that'd be my my starting lineup. Uh, it'd be probably the the best lineup we have in every single position. Yeah, yeah, it's probably fair enough, and probably agree. And hopefully, we'll see Firmino. I know he travelled with the squad yesterday. It'd be nice to get some minutes under his belt. Um, because he's the sort of person I could see starting at Aston Villa. Um, that sort of calming influence and the ability for us to uh, retain possession in the final third is always important, particularly away from home. Um, sound? Well, I'll come back to you both then for some score predictions. We've already spoke about the challenge ahead with Spurs. So how do we see it going? Um, Chloe, I'll stick with you first on this one. Um, I think it's a 2-1 win to Liverpool. I'm not going to bet against us, um, but I do think Spurs are a massive, massive challenge to overcome. Yeah. Um, hopefully tonight Real Madrid go through, but hopefully also um, they take Manchester City to extra time and they absolutely um, make them mentally dissolve so that on Sunday, on Saturday, if we do, if we do go top of the league on Sunday, they also crumble. Very unlikely that all of those things are going to come into place. Um, but one can dream. Yeah, one certainly can dream. Certainly in a minute with this Liverpool side. But that scenario sounds perfect to me. Like um, Dave, score prediction? It tends to be dramatic when we play them at Anfield, doesn't it? Like, yeah. 17-18, you had Salah scoring that, won the goal, and then I think it was a non-penalty at the other end. Yeah. 18-19, Cara saying, Mo Salah, you little dancer, <laughs> um, right at the end. 19-20, I think it was earlier in the season, but we had to come back. And even last season, when it was behind, well, it was not quite behind closed doors because a couple of thousand fans in there. Um, I think there was a winner right at the end from Firmino. So Firmino I, Eddie, I, yeah. yeah, I expect another game along those lines, like a, a one-goal, Liverpool win, I think. And it's interesting what Chloe says there in a way because if we do beat Spurs in like, and it's one of them where it's like really dramatic and um, maybe if there's a late goal or something like that, then I think that's almost better for us in terms of the dynamics of the title race mm. than 
beating beating them three 0 or something, because obviously it magnifies your own confidence. But I think more than that, Man City watching it, especially if they've just gone out um, against um, against Real Madrid, then I think that is kind of that really would pile the pressure on them um, and would make them think, oh God, Liverpool kind of aren't going away kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it isn't the hardest game for them. I mean, Newcastle couldn't compete with us last weekend, even though they have been decent recently. But um, yeah, you're just looking for any kind of slight advantage you can gain. So yeah, I'm going to say Liverpool by by one. Um, I think Spurs will score. Um, so I guess 2-1 as well. I know we don't necessarily like to go for the same prediction, but I'm, I'm not sure about like 3-2. So I'll probably have to stick with 2-1 myself as well. Okay, whilst I enjoy the whole kick Man City in the teeth narrative with a late winner, I'd like a comfortable 3-1 <laughs> victory for Liverpool, please, on Saturday night. Um, I agree, I think Tottenham will score, to be honest, because that's just the type of side they are, it seems, under Conte. He hasn't quite got them resilient as he'd probably like yet. Um, he's a very Italian coach, for want of a better phrase, in terms of he likes his sides to keep clean sheets. They're not really doing that. In fact, if anything, they're a bit too open, a bit too free-flowing, probably for his liking. So, for all them reasons, I fancy us to uh, to put them to bed. Hopefully, anyway. Um, but that'll be all we've got time for. Dave, I'll come to you for the usual sign-off and the usual uh, administration at the end before I do. Yeah, um, all it is is... Um... Subscribe to the YouTube channel um, for clips of each episode. That's in the episode description. And um, yeah, remember to, if you enjoy the podcast, give it five stars on Spotify and a positive review on any other uh, platform you might use. Um, The last thing I'm going to say is I had a very vivid dream um, the other night that Wolves beat Man City 2-0. So I'm hoping, because of how vivid it was, that it was more of a premonition um, than just a, a pure dream. So I'm still holding on to hope. Yeah, I mean, we've all got to hold on to hope. Um, Wolves do owe Man City as well for that horrendous penalty decision against Joe yeah, Matinho earlier this season. So absolutely, that sounds good for me. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, we'll be back next week to look back on Tottenham slightly and to look back on Aston Villa um, and also ahead to what could be potentially the greatest ending to a season this football club has ever seen. Um, but until then, take care and speak to you soon. <laughs>